Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider. We'll get started right after this. This podcast is presented by Facebook, who are collaborating with the UK government and charities to support the pandemic response and limit the spread of misinformation. Falsehood flies and truth comes limping after it, wrote the author Jonathan Swift in a 17th century essay on political lying. When men come to be undeceived, it's too late. The jest is over and the tale hath had its effect. 400 years later, Swift's words have lost little of their resonance as we survey the political landscape today. Political lying, he wrote, can conquer kingdoms without fighting, make a saint of an atheist and a patriot of a profligate, can raise or let fall the credit of the nation. So you might not know it from the hand-wringing in liberal circles over recent years, but public concern about the dishonesty of our politicians is as old as politics itself. In the 19th century, Mark Twain joked that US congressmen were America's only true criminal class. In the 20th century, George Orwell called politics a mass of lies and evasions. You can tell a politician is lying, goes the age-old joke by the fact his lips are moving. Read my lips. No new taxes. This view remains as strong today as ever it did. Every year, the polling firm Ipsos asks the public whether they generally trust people in different professions to tell the truth. Less than a quarter of those polled this year said they trusted politicians. That's not quite rock bottom, Hello, advertising executives. But it's pretty bloody awful, given these people are elected to make our laws. Politicians are less trusted than bankers, less trusted than estate agents, and even, heaven forbid, less trusted than journalists. By the way, the UK's most trusted profession turns out to be the local pharmacist, trusted by 96% of the population. Maybe we should ask that nice chap in boots to be our foreign secretary instead. But while political lying is nothing new, there is a widely held perception that at some point since the turn of the millennium, our politics started slipping further and further into a mendacious abyss. The Iraq war dossier, the MPs' expenses scandal, the claim and counterclaim of the Brexit campaign, and, for some people, the election of Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, are all paraded as evidence of how low we've sunk. home to pay for the costs of care. And so I am announcing now that we will fix the crisis in social care once and for all with a clear plan we have prepared. And beyond these shores, the picture has looked bleaker still, with the rise of blatantly dishonest leaders like Donald Trump in America and Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil. Not to mention the increasingly outrageous behaviour of Vladimir Putin's gangster regime. The phrase post-truth politics is bandied around these days as if it's just a fact that nobody in the political world is honest anymore. And that in turn kind of conjures up a contrasting image of a sort of 1950s political idyll, where politicians were decent gents with a code of honour doing their best for king and country. Is any of this true? Are people right to think that most politicians are liars? Is lying even the right word for what it is that politicians do? I'll be speaking to experts on lying, 
including critics and supporters of the current Prime Minister. Johnson himself is an habitual liar on an epic scale. I've actually always found him to be pretty straightforward when you deal with him. I'll talk to one of the most famous political liars of modern British history, the once disgraced, but now very much reformed, former cabinet minister, Jonathan Aitken. I say occasionally to myself, even now, how could I have been so foolish and so stupid? And I'll be crossing the pond, you know, virtually, to interview Anthony Scaramucci, who was famously, and briefly, a very close aide to the least honest politician I for one have ever seen, Donald J. Trump. And that, you'll be unsurprised to hear, is kind of a lively one. The guy was like a flat-out congenital liar. So from Politico, I'm Jack Blanchard. And this week on Westminster Insider, we're exploring the history and the art of political lying and asking why so many politicians find it so hard to tell the truth. Let's rewind six whole weeks to a blazing hot summer's day. Remember them? In late July. And a red-hot end-of-term debate in the House of Commons. The Labour MP, Dawn Butler, once of Jeremy Corbyn's shadow cabinet, but now very much a backbencher, is on her feet. And in the last general debate before the summer recess, she has some harsh words to say about Boris Johnson. Not true. The Prime Minister said we have severed the link between infection and serious disease and death. Not only is this not true, Madam Deputy Speaker, but it is dangerous, and it's dangerous to line the pandemic. And I'm disappointed that the Prime Minister has not come to the House to correct the record and to correct the fact that he has lied to this House and the country over and over again. The House of Commons Deputy Speaker, Judith Cummins, was not impressed. Please reflect on your words and withdraw your remarks. Now, as you probably know, parliamentary custom dictates that you're not actually allowed to call another MP a liar, seemingly under any circumstances. And Butler knew this, but refused to withdraw the remark, and so was ordered to leave. Under the power given me by Standing Order number 43, I order the member to withdraw immediately from the House for the remainder of the day's sitting. Butler remains unrepentant. I knew there would be a possibility that I could get thrown out of the house. I tried to initially raise what I was saying in such a way that was parliamentary language. But then it became more and more absurd because it was like I was part of covering up the lie. And I'm thinking, why should I be a part of the prime minister's lie? It's got nothing to do with me. I'm not the liar, I'm calling out the lie. This incident caused a fair amount of discussion at the time, as Butler presumably hoped it would. These parliamentary rules about not calling politicians liars, nor indeed cads, ruffians, slimy gits, or a raft of other entertainingly archaic insults, date back a very long time. Some people said they should be scrapped. Others, however, accused Butler of publicity-seeking and warned that if the ban was lifted, parliamentary debate would swiftly descend into a load of MPs shouting liar at one another for 12 hours a day. But it came as no surprise, whichever side of that debate you stand on, that Butler's target for this unparliamentary attack was Boris Johnson himself, a Prime Minister so often accused of being a liar that outside the Commons chamber, 
it's not really a very controversial thing to say. For Johnson has, as his critics will never tire of telling you, been sacked twice for lying in the past. And that's before you get into more recent promises about oven-ready deals, 40 new hospitals and all the rest. Then, of course, there's his rather complicated personal life, not to mention that whole messy business with the big red bus. This particular Prime Minister, some people insist, lies like no other before him. I don't think that anybody is as a prolific liar as Boris Johnson, and that has been proved time and time again. If you've made a mistake, fine, come back and correct the record. Why haven't you done that? Why are you saying that the government's going to build 40 new hospitals when they're only refurbishing 15? That's not true. That's a lie. But are Boris Johnson's verbal misdemeanours really outright lies? If your government is pouring extra money into the NHS, is describing the construction of a new hospital wing as a new hospital actually a lie? Or is it something else? Something misleading, but maybe slightly less serious? Or how about, ooh, let's say, using a gross figure rather than a net figure on the side of a campaign bus to emphasise a point about public spending? Is that a lie? Or is it just politics? No doubt you have your view, and it's probably quite a strong one. But you can argue the toss. And we have done. For five bloody years. Johnson's critics, nevertheless, are in no doubt. Peter Oborn, the former Daily Mail, Telegraph and Spectator journalist, has covered British politics for almost 30 years. He's written two books on political lying. The first triggered by Tony Blair in the 2000s, and the latest by Boris Johnson. He insists the problem has never been as bad as it is today. Johnson himself is a serious, scheming and habitual liar on an epic scale we've never had in any British Prime Minister in history. And regretfully, quite a lot of his cabinet are the same as that. To be a member of Johnson's cabinet, you have to subscribe to whatever the Prime Minister says, and therefore you find yourself repeating the falsehoods and misleading statements the Prime Minister has said. He's had an enormous number of lies on record on the floor of the House of Commons. And it's become a terrible problem in British politics on a scale we've never had before. I suggested to Peter Oborn that many of the so-called lies told by Boris Johnson are really just exaggerations or bluster and are actually a lot less serious than he's often portrayed. I disagree. If you're going to ask the assent of the British people to elect you prime minister, and as a basis for that, you say, I'm going to build 40 new hospitals and all sorts of other things, by the way, then I think you are perpetuating a fraud on the electorate. Let's give an example taken from ordinary life. I want to build a new bathroom. A builder turns up and says, oh, I can knock that off for 50 quid. And you enter into uh, an agreement on that basis and it ends up costing 5,000 quid. That builder has lied to me in my view. You would feel that. And that is the basis on which Mr Johnson got himself elected. Let me try another one then. A lot of people would probably say that politicians, they're all liars, aren't they? You know, is he really so different to the rest of them, the prime ministers we've had before? They exaggerate claims in general elections. They make promises they can't keep. That's politics. And we shrug our shoulders and sort of accept it. Yeah, this is a particularly demoralising argument, and it's very serious because 
actually there are honest people in politics. Oddly enough, um, Mr Johnson sacked most of them from the Tory party, or a lot of them, shortly after becoming elected. But it's very bad, that, because it means, well, if you accept what you've argued, then there is no way of judging the difference between one politician and the other. And once you've accepted that, it's the biggest liar who wins. Naturally, Boris Johnson's supporters, and let's not forget there were approximately 14 million of them in Britain at the last count, would not accept this characterisation of the Prime Minister. I spent the last week chasing an awful lot of people who worked closely with Boris Johnson over the years to come on the podcast and defend him. Remarkably few, I have to say, were willing to do so. Though one did send me the following, I thought pretty interesting, text message. The argument with Boris is sadly too nuanced for our increasingly rabid age, this person told me. As I see it, he is more authentic and profoundly honest about who he is, what he isn't, what he wants to do, than almost any other politician. But like all of them, he said things that turn out not to have been 100% accurate, and his critics will never see beyond that. So for this former aide, at least, Boris Johnson offers voters a different type of honesty, even if he is sometimes less than accurate in the claims and statements he makes. People know what he is and what he's like, and they respond well to it. And we know that because they consistently vote for him in enormous numbers whenever and wherever he stands for election. Look, I think all politicians have different styles. This is Richard Holden, who worked closely with Boris Johnson as a spin doctor on his 2019 leadership campaign, before becoming a Tory MP himself later that year. And I think the Prime Minister's style isn't the deliberative, boring approach that a lot of people have. He is quite flamboyant in his use of language. He's used to being a public speaker and a commentator. But I think these accusations are thrown at politicians of all stripes all the time. And I do think they're probably slightly overblown when it comes to Boris, actually. I've actually found him to be pretty straightforward when you deal with him, certainly in a one-on-one capacity or when there's a small group of you. And I think addressing a crowd or a room, you know, I remember during the leadership campaign when we were addressing large crowds, you know, any pull-out kippers and all that sort of thing. And I think that's part of his style. That's what gets him noticed. That's what gives him a bit of an edge. But I don't think when it comes to the substance, you could say that, you know, he's in a league of his own beyond other politicians at all. Is there something inherent in the job of being a politician that means you have to sometimes bend the truth a little bit or be economical with the truth a little bit, do you think? Is it just part of the job, essentially? Well, having worked in the Ministry of Defence, definitely when it comes to security concerns or when you're actually dealing with international partners, there are things that you know which you can't speak of before they happen. I think when it comes to uh, domestic policy, though, authenticity matters when it comes to politicians. I wouldn't say that there is actually that necessity to not be straight with people. In fact, I almost think it's most of the time politicians are trying to be as straight with people as they can possibly be, because otherwise they get found out pretty quickly. But come on, at election time, everybody knows politicians make big promises to the public that they know they're never really going to keep, don't they? I don't think so. You know, I think I was very careful in my own constituency to not make promises I didn't think I'd be able to keep. But then I could also put my hands up and say, look, you know, in a manifesto, we said we would totally get debt under control within a couple of years. 
right? It's pretty clear that given the crisis we've just seen with COVID, that's not going to happen. And in order for us to have stuck to that promise, I think people would find it mad if we were now going to basically throw the economy under a bus in order to stick to that promise. So I think people are also understanding that times change. So do you think politicians are a bit hard done by? I mean, if you look at the opinion polls and what people think of them, most people don't really trust politicians, do they? Is that a bit unfair? I actually think when people meet their local MPs or their local councillors, people actually on a one-on-one basis with you, I think it would be fair to say there is a general scepticism of the political class in inverted commas. But I think that's much broader than politicians per se. I think it represents a bigger feeling about how people feel about Westminster as a machine. And that's where I do think people do have a feeling of total distance from those conversations which are often had, which is where I think those stats come from, really. Holden's last point is an interesting one and was definitely something I found when I covered politics for various local papers in the 2000s. Ask people what they think of politicians, and the answer tends to be utterly scathing. Ask them what they think of a specific politician, one they've actually met, normally a local MP or councillor, and you'll often get a very different answer. And I can tell you for an absolute fact that, controversial as this may be, there are plenty of MPs in Westminster who are genuine, honest, hard-working people trying to do their best for their constituency. I know, I know, it's hard to believe. Nevertheless, there are also certain politicians who are absolutely undoubted stone-cold liars. And coming up in part two, I'll be speaking to one of them. The former Tory cabinet minister, Jonathan Aitken, who was jailed for perjury in 1999 after lying in court. And I'll be speaking to Anthony Scaramucci, the motormouth spin doctor for surely the biggest political liar of our age, Donald J. Trump. Stay with us. Facebook is collaborating with partners in the UK to support the pandemic response. They've teamed up with over 80 fact-checking organisations globally, covering over 60 languages, to reduce the spread of COVID-19 misinformation on their platforms. And they have worked with fact-checkers such as Full Fact in the UK to develop multilingual media literacy campaigns that provided millions of people with tips for spotting false news. Get the full story at about.fb.com forward slash actions forward slash UK. Every journalist... Every media obsessive, in fact, has their very own favourite front page. The one newspaper splash from the annals of history which they'll never forget. Mine has always been The Guardian's front page from June 21st, 1997. A libel trial initiated by the former Conservative Cabinet Minister, Jonathan Aitken, against that newspaper had just collapsed at the High Court after The Guardian produced fresh evidence that its investigation into Aitken's financial relationship with a Saudi businessman had indeed been correct. Aitken, who had famously vowed to disprove the story in court with the simple sword of truth and the trusty shield of British fair play, was impaled upon his own dishonesty. He faced prosecution, prison and financial ruin. The Guardian's huge single-deck headline that day said simply... He lied and lied and lied. Well, I look back, of course, with enormous regret, enormous repentance, 
And I think perhaps above all, I say occasionally to myself, even now, how could I have been so foolish and so stupid? So I'm not short of um, self-examination or examination of conscience on this uh, subject. I spoke to Jonathan Aitken via Zoom for this episode. He's 79 years old now and made for a wonderful interviewee, thoughtful in his answers and generous with his time. He famously found God after the collapse of his political career and has spent much of the past two decades working as a prison chaplain. Uh, why did I tell a lie? Well, I was in a bit of a jam, not actually a very serious jam, because journalists were asking uncomfortable questions about who had paid my hotel bill in Paris. And to get out of the jam, for reasons of fear and pride, I took the easy way out and found what seemed to be at the time a convincing and good blocking answer. My wife paid the bill. Uh, and it was an actual fact it was paid by a good friend of mine who was from the world of Saudi Arabia. Uh, he was a genuine friend and all the rest of it. But nevertheless, although I had broken no law and probably no rule, nevertheless, I didn't want the chance of the Guardian newspaper to say his bill was paid by an Arab businessman because all kinds of murky conclusions would have been drawn from that. And I thought it, if I had admitted it, even though it was not a resigning offence probably, I would have perhaps not got into the cabinet of the next reshuffle, which I was widely expected to do. So there's a fear factor, pride factor. It was all about, I think, a eight or £900 hotel bill. And I really didn't like the idea of being thought of cheapskate who couldn't even pay his own hotel bill. Do you think those are classically the reasons why politicians do tell lies Some is through fear of exposure of something that they don't want to come out and through pride about their public image? I think to some extent, yes. I think there's another factor which um, politicians feel vulnerable to, and embarrassment, which is really all that would have happened in my case. Embarrassment is sort of feared much more than it need be. I mean, in a course of a long career, Actually, you do quite a few things which are probably mistakes and cause you embarrassment. But politicians are more frightened of that embarrassment because the embarrassment doesn't just mean a few guys in the pub or in the office say, oh, he made a mess of that, didn't he? It means it's always up there in lights in the media. Uh, and so the embarrassment factor is a much graver factor and people lie to avoid it much more easily than perhaps they need to do. Do you think we should perhaps be a little bit more generous towards our politicians in accepting that they're human and either not holding them to such a high standard or not, you know, castigating them when they do make mistakes so they're more likely to be honest about it? Well, I think there's a fat chance of that happening. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, you are right. Politicians are human. Politicians make mistakes. And if you talk to sort of voters or thoughtful people individually, they are not so censorious as the media. The media are super censorious. That's their business almost, to express shock, horror, disgrace over things which perhaps are not the kind of thing you would feel shock, horror and disgrace for over many other walks of life. But if you go into politics, you are going into the bullring. You must expect to get gored and stabbed. And it actually goes with the territory. But politicians having thin skins like everybody else mind very much about uh, being gored or picadored.
I know you're not, obviously not involved in frontline politics now and haven't been for a long time, but if, watching from afar, do you think it's changed a bit? There is a perception now that politicians are less honest, that we live in a sort of less truthful time at the moment. Do you think that's right, or do you think it, it, it's broadly as it has always been? I think it may be right, and there's a reason for it. When I came into Parliament as a young backbencher in 1974, the House of Commons was stuffed with people who'd done very fine things before they became MPs. Uh, many of them had fought in the wars. Many brave military people like Dennis Healy on both sides of the house. Or they had had rather distinguished careers. They'd been top QCs. And that was because Parliament was then, I think, thought uh, for the better. Not necessarily to be a full-time job for some of the people, but to be a job which you did in addition to having something outside the House of Commons. Now, everybody who goes in the House of Commons wants to be a political careerist. They want to be a minister, a cabinet minister. Once they want to do that, they cannot bear to make slips on the ascent of what is really called the greasy pole. So to avoid that, they perhaps tell a lie to avoid being thought to have made a mistake. And so to that extent, I think... Uh, the arena, the climate of politics makes telling a lie a little more likely. I thought that was genuinely insightful from Jonathan Aitken, both on the reasons that politicians lie and the reasons they might be doing it a little more than they used to. But his own misdemeanour was, in the end, a relatively trivial affair compared with some of the great political lies of the past century. Among the worst was the devious behaviour of Prime Minister Anthony Eden during the 1956 Suez Crisis, secretly colluding with France and Israel to wage war in the Middle East. Somewhat less serious, but perhaps more famous, was the lie told by British Secretary for War John Profumo in 1963 about an affair he was having with the teenage model Christine Keeler. Evidence quickly showed he'd deceived the Commons, and he resigned several weeks later. Love and war have provided the backdrop too for many of the great lies told in American politics. Chief among them must be the Gulf of Tonkin incident, when President Lyndon Johnson erroneously claimed US ships had come under attack from North Vietnam and used the episode as a justification for escalating the growing war. Again, less serious but far better remembered was President Bill Clinton's blatant lie about his brief affair with a young White House intern. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. The best-remembered lies of all, of course, were those of President Richard Nixon, who was forced to resign over his cover-up of a bungled spying operation against Democrat opponents. I regret deeply any injuries that may have been done in the course of the events that led to this decision. I would say only that if some of my judgments were wrong, and some were wrong, they were made in what I believed at the time to be the best interest of the nation. But none of these lies, not even Watergate really, can compare with what has happened to US politics over recent years, where one man has single-handedly shattered the rule book over the extent to which politicians feel the need to at least pretend to speak the truth. The big difference about Donald Trump compared with the politicians who came before him is that he told endless, provable falsehoods throughout his presidency. 
Stuff that a quick Google search would tell you is simply not true. Answer the question of why the president asked the White House press secretary to come out and utter a falsehood. You're saying it's a falsehood, and Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. But the point remains... Alternative facts? Alternative facts? Trump lied all the time in a really obvious way. So much that there's this Canadian journalist in Washington, Daniel Dale, who spent his whole time just fact-checking and cataloguing each false statement the president made. He'd counted more than 9,000 before he abandoned the project last year. Many of them were completely trivial, although you suspect the final lie, his claim that the election he'd lost had somehow been stolen away, will prove more serious in the long term. People who worked with him were left utterly bemused. The guy was like a flat-out congenital liar to the point where like you couldn't even, you didn't even know what the hell he was saying. If, if, he, if he told you that you were a chick, you would be like, oh, okay. Maybe I I mean, the guy was ridiculous. This is Anthony Scaramucci, the New York financier who worked in various roles for Donald Trump before spending 11 days, count them, in the White House as the president's director of communications, one of his very closest aides, before getting fired. There was a situation in the White House where we gave him some numbers to recite in the Rose Garden. And this happened on a Wednesday. And the reason I know it was a Wednesday, Jack, because I was only there for one Wednesday. Okay, that's how I know it was a Wednesday. So we give him the numbers. He's in the Rose Garden. I think the number was like 86%. And so he said 90. It it walks back in. I look at him. I said, why did you say 90 when the actual number is 86? Oh, 90 sounds better. 90 sounds better. But that was his whole MO. I mean, so yeah, no, the guy was a ridiculous liar, but... How could you be doing a podcast on lying in politics? I mean, that's all they do. When they open their mouths, they're lying. So I don't I don't understand how this is like a, you know, tell me how you're getting listeners to this podcast. Doesn't every one of your viewers and listeners know that these people are complete liars? I think there is a perception that there is a difference between some of them. Is, is Donald Trump worse than your average politician when it comes to lying, do you think? Well, they all lie. okay, and so there's different levels of lying. You know, some people are lying because they think they're protecting the public interest. You know, when the uh, when the spy plane was shot out of the sky prior to the Khrushchev Eisenhower summit. This, if you don't know your U.S. history, is the notorious incident in 1960 when the Russians shot down a U-2 American spy plane that was photographing their missile sites ahead of a peace summit. And he flat out lied but he thought he was doing it in the public interest. That's totally different from Donald Trump. You know, if we're at war and I'm lying to let the enemy know that the troops are in one location, but they're actually in a different location, I think everybody in the world gives you slack for that. But if you're just getting up in the morning and making shit up, I mean, you know, I think it's sort of ridiculous. Was this tactical from Trump? Was this like a strategy he was using to, to you know, uh, to achieve his ends? Or is this just what he's like? And this was a this was a lifelong getting away with it. And so if I got away with it at 21, let me double down at 25. Let me double down at 55. OK, now I'm 75. Oh, my God, this whole pattern of my congenital lying has led me to the American presidency. So I got to keep it up. Let me turn it up one more notch. Okay, now, of course, we have the big lie. He's got a group of people, probably 20 percent of the country, if not more, think that uh, the election was stolen from him. You know, he actually has people believing that. 
Would he lie to senior staff members like yourself as well as as when he went on TV, or did he reserve it for media appearances? Jack, come on. You already know the answer to that. I mean, I know you're not a shrink, but you already know the answer to that. You think that guy could stop lying? Let me tell you something. The way people are is the way they are. The guy's lying to himself. I'm sure he gets up in the morning when he shaves his face, assuming he has any orange hair on his face. He lies. He's lying in the mirror to himself. Isn't there something inherent in politics? There's like a driver for all politicians to be less than honest, though. Isn't that the whole, like, the way it's set up, we're so unforgiving of mistakes that they make? Like, you kind of have to do it, or you're just going to end up out of a job, aren't you? Well, I mean, I think that's the truth. You just got to the crystal essence of the truth of the whole thing. I think that it's designed and the incentives are set up so that you start lying about something or start exaggerating about something. I think that's definitely the truth of the situation. And I think it's the reason why a lot of good people don't want to be in politics. And they say, this is ridiculous. I don't want to, I have five kids. I don't want my, you can't go into politics and be a congenital liar. And then you're just this really bad example for your kids. So for Anthony Scaramucci, all politicians are indeed liars. Although Donald Trump, lying to his orange face in the mirror each morning, is very much in a league of his own. But is the Mooch right to be so cynical about the whole of our political class? And if he is, are they really so different to the rest of us? My final guest, Tom Phillips, is a genuine expert on lying. He used to work as a professional fact-checker for the Full Fact Charity, and his wonderfully titled book, Truth, A Brief History of Total Bullshit, charts the role of lying in our society. Humans have always lied. Humans almost certainly will always lie. It's fairly central to our nature, in fact. Like, when you think about all the little white lies that you tell every day just to get through life, then it is actually quite central. I think a lot of the time when we complain about lying, what we're actually complaining about is bullshit. The difference between these two is really that bullshitters don't care about the truth. Lying is very precise. You need to actually know what the truth is in order to lie, because you need to avoid it. Whereas bullshitting, it can be true, untrue, it doesn't really matter. What it is, is it's all about selling a narrative whether it's true or false, is kind of beside the point. And so I think a lot of the time when we point at a politician and go, they're lying, what they're actually doing is bullshitting. It might be true, it might not be. They don't care. There is a public perception that politicians lie more than the average person. Do you think that's fair? Many politicians have incentives to lie a lot of the time, you know, because... They have to do all of the little petty things, like pretending they didn't support a now unpopular position 10 years ago. Most of the lies are sort of small little cover-ups of embarrassments, which is realistically kind of the same sort of lies that we tell every day in our social lives. I think politicians require a really strong amount of self-belief. So I think politicians are quite vulnerable to not just lies, but into actually deluding themselves into believing that they're right. People attack the media for going like, why aren't you saying this was a lie? Why won't you use the L word? And of course, there are reasons for that that include things like English defamation law. Um, But moreover, it is actually right to be cautious around using that word lie, because it does in fact imply that you know the interior mental state of the person when they said it that they knew it was untrue and that they deliberately lied. Whereas a lot of the time, 
and saw this sort of editing a fact-checking website for several years. When politicians say something that isn't true, they just believe it themselves, genuinely, that they simply don't know and didn't care to check what was true, rather than that they necessarily deliberately lied. I think there's a perception that lying in politics has got worse, a lot worse, over the maybe the past decade. Do you think that's right? I think there have certainly been quite a lot of high-profile untruths in recent years that, you know, have got quite a lot of attention. Some of them written on the sides of buses, some of them not. (laughs) Whether or not there's more lying now is really hard to tell. I think what we have seen is perhaps with sort of increasing polarisation, which really reduces the incentives to be accurate, to be honest, because we all know that bluntly, we will tend to ignore the lies that those on our side of politics say we'll kind of excuse them we'll kind of let them go and so the more polarized the political scene is then the more that politicians feel they can kind of get away with untruth because they know that their own side isn't going to punish them for it for tom phillips the only way to keep politicians honest is for voters to keep them in check ultimately it does come down to that Politicians will make more of an effort to be honest and truthful if they think that they'll be punished at the ballot box for untruth. There are other parts of this. Obviously, you know, the media can do a better job of calling out untruth. They can be less partisan. They can be more genuinely objective about things. They can critique people from their own side as much as the other side. There's all things that can happen there. But really, it does come down to will the voters punish a politician who is dishonest at the ballot box? And until you start to see some evidence of that happening, then there isn't really much of an incentive for politicians to be truthful. The extent to which you think politicians tell lies really does depend on how you define the word. For me, some of them bullshit, some of them bluster, most of them exaggerate, and they all avoid telling certain truths. But I would say blatant outright lies are rarer in this country at least, perhaps less so in Donald Trump-era America. When they do do it, politicians generally tell lies to avoid very public embarrassment, in order to protect their career, their pride, sometimes even their marriages. But perhaps we shouldn't be surprised by any of that. We do, after all, hold these people to impossibly high standards. Every error is a personal disaster Every change of direction, an embarrassing U-turn. Every failure, a reason to resign. For our increasingly career-orientated politicians, total honesty is often too big a risk to take. And Tom Phillips is also probably right that the intensely partisan nature of 21st century politics means both media and general public alike are often willing to let little lies and falsehoods pass when they're uttered by politicians on their own side of the argument. Plenty of people were outraged about the £350 million on the side of the Vote Leave bus, and plenty more were furious at Remainer warnings about the supposed need for huge spending cuts if we left the EU. You didn't hear many people who were outraged by both. Ultimately, if politicians who tell the truth are punished by the press and on social media, while those who bluster and bullshit find it gets them to the top then perhaps the real truth is that we get exactly the leaders we deserve. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Westminster Insider. 
If you've enjoyed it, do please subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. My producer this week was Ellie Clifford of Whistledown Productions, and here at Politico, my executive producer is Christina Gonzalez, and my UK editor is Kate Day. I'll be back next week. I'll see you then.